This is The Good Life in Early Life, a production of Nebraska Extension. I'm your host, Emily Manning, an early childhood extension educator in Seward County, and I want to wish you a happy Halloween. We've got some very scary topics for you today, such as the economic model of the childcare business and industry. Make sure you tune in to the very end to hear a young Nebraskan tell you what they like about Halloween. Today I have with me Mike Feekin from First Five Nebraska. Thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your knowledge about First Five Nebraska. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Let's get started with a question that I ask all of my podcast guests. What is a funny memory from your childhood or a favorite memory from your childhood? When I was probably what four or five years old, I had uh, an aunt that was getting married in Seattle, Washington. And we were taking a road trip out there. So we started here in Nebraska. We picked up uh, an uncle in Denver, uh, and we're you know we're driving all the way all the way up there in this big, awesome you know the '80s conversion van, right? And uh, so this uncle, he was a real character, and he said, "You know what? A guy of your age really needs to have a pocket knife." Okay. Now remember, I was four or five. <laughs> so obviously, that was the coolest thing that I'd ever heard in my life. Like, yeah. I do need a pocket knife. <laughs> so he gives me one. And it's a little one. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's the, the but it did have scissors. Oh, one of like utility knives kind yes. of. Yes. Yes. And so uh at um you know, rest area or we were in a parking lot or something I I don't remember those particulars. I decided to utilize those scissors out of the pocket knife and start to give myself a haircut. (laughs) Obviously, it didn't work out well. Um, There was a lot of screaming and crying and yelling because remember, we were going Going to a a family (laughs) wedding and there was going to be pictures and everything like this. And so I think it's more more funny and it's more memorable just because of the, it's still, it was still a story that was always, you know, kind of brought up like, Mike, don't you want to, you know, uh, a pocket knife so many, so many years later. <laughs> Do you still keep getting the pocket knife, yeah. like, gifts? Or? Uh, no, not so much. Not no. That would not, be not, really funny, yeah. like, right. for an anniversary <laughs> yeah, birthday yeah, or right, something. Yeah, yeah. Here's your pocket knife. Pocket knife, yep. <laughs> oh, gosh, what a hoot. Yes. Oh, uh, were you a were you a ring bearer? Uh, I don't think I was. Um, that, that would have made it even more funny. I don't, I don't. I think I was. I, I do remember also the pictures that I was taking. I was not in a good mood that day, and so I didn't smile for anything. But they, you know, now they would like Photoshop or like airbrush you, you know, like a smiling face in there. Mm-hmm. I I was like face down with a frown in all these wedding pictures. Oh my! <laughs> so you're not having it. Not having it. If you were to describe that haircut, like what would it look like? Oh, um, geez, I don't know. I mean, it, it was just like crisscross on the bangs a little bit, and just like, I mean, I didn't get real far. It was just, and then like maybe on the side a little. <laughs> you're getting creative. Yeah, yeah. Some angle. Well, yeah. Th- the, the scissors were only, you know, an inch tall. So, I mean, you couldn't do a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yeah. But yeah. that was a neat style. You need to bring that back for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Thanks that's for right. sharing your story. I Absolutely. appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let's get into 
into kind of a, your work with First Five. Absolutely. First Five Nebraska. And for those listeners who aren't familiar with your work, how would you describe the work that you and your team do? All right. So First Five Nebraska, we are a statewide public policy organization. We focus on early childhood education and care. Uh, we also dip our toes into maternal wellness. We dip our toes into child safety. But really, at the end of the day, we're all about um, policy solutions for early care and education. Now, what does that what does that ultimately mean? We're public policy, right? So, very exciting stuff. Public policy. What that means. We have a team of professionals that, whether that's through our communications team, our, our data, our uh, ones that are you know in the Capitol building, that talk to decision makers, talk to the legislature, talk to agency heads about early childhood education and care. My piece of it is we have an engagement team, and that can be community engagement, that can be looking for advocates throughout the you know throughout communities in the state my background is with economic development and so i go out into communities and i talk to local governing bodies i talk to employers i talk to uh, stakeholders in communities about why early education and early you know early child care is important from a community development standpoint, an economic development standpoint, business development standpoint, and why it's so important for communities to think about that as they're trying to recruit residents, as they're trying to uh, retain workforce, and ultimately how that can be a piece in, in a strategy for having you know folks live and work in their community. So that's First Five Nebraska. So why are those first five years so important in your own words? In my own words, okay, so there is, there's really a, f- a few ways of looking at this. From a child development standpoint, the brain development uh, side of things, uh, 90% of the brain is developed between zero and five. 90%, if you think about that, that's, that's major, that's, that's really key, right? A lot of the things that are developed in what we call executive function are things like critical thinking, being able to self-regulate, being able to have that impulse control are, are really key when we are starting to think of how that child, you know, develops through the rest of their years. And so when we have quality early childhood education opportunities or environments, being able to have that executive function or being able to build those executive function skills, those soft skills, that's what really creates, from an economic development standpoint, workforce standpoint, a responsive future talent pool. And those are the things that I tend to talk about when I am talking to businesses or employers because what we hear a lot of times, or what I have heard, uh, back when I was doing economic development is, well, you know, the number one thing that we always hear from employers or, or businesses when they are looking for workforce is, well, I just need, I need someone that can look me in the eye when they're speaking. I need someone that can show up on time. I need someone that, you know, doesn't just fly off the handle and start a- attacking someone verbally or, or physically, really. Uh, and so we can point back to a lot of those a lot of those skills that employers are 
those just basic skills, we can look back and see that when they are developed, it was, you know, in early age from zero to five. Oftentimes, even before they've gone to school. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that, again, why those early care and education yeah. settings are so important. So I have a question for you. You talk to a lot of community members, business uh, businesses and employers. What is some of the responses that you get when you talk about that brain development and some of those skills that are developed? What do you hear from people? Well, I think I think from the employer standpoint, they un, they they understand. You know, there is also an awareness and an education that I'm trying to bring to them as well, and so they may not know that at all. And so, uh, when, when I when I talk to them, I do ask like, what what do you find surprising? I I think that it, they've always always maybe in the back of their mind known this. But seeing it or actually hearing it pre- uh, presented is is always a an eye opener. Early childhood education is important because that is your talent and workforce of tomorrow. But it's also very important right now because early childhood education and care is the way that you know as as long as it's accessible, affordable and available, then working parents can be in the workforce. And so it's really what, what I like to call multi-generational talent and workforce recruitment. And that's early childhood education. Uh, again, it has to be accessible, has to be affordable, has to be available. And that's that's typically what you know employers really latch on to is like, oh yeah, well, we need it. Not only do we need it you know, now today for my current workforce, but we really need it uh, so that the future workforce is go- is going to have those types of, again, executive function skills. Yeah, which is what you hear from employers is those are the things that they want. Yes. Because they can probably train them in all the other skills that they exactly. need for the that's job. Right. But if they don't have those soft skills. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That's right. So – you work with First Five Nebraska. You're kind of on the community engagement side and engagement with businesses and stuff. And But you also have, with First Five Nebraska, the legislation advocacy. So let's talk a little bit about this last unicameral session that it had a lot of attention from the media, both locally and nationally. But in terms of early childhood in Nebraska, what bills stood out to you or your team as being particularly important, and what does it mean for Nebraska? From a legislation standpoint, for early childhood education and care, we were very happy uh, and 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 glad that the child care provisions of LB seven fifty four were you know passed and signed into law by Governor Pillen. This one is you know, the child care tax credits. And so really there's there's like three different type of uh, components that are with this tax credit. One is for parents and guardians that utilize child care. There's going to be tax credits, uh, you know, per child based on household incomes. The second one is for, and this is the one that I'm really, really excited to see, is that there is a uh, contribution tax credit. And so that means for Nebraska taxpayers, either uh, individually or you know on the corporate level, uh, private sector businesses, that if they make qualifying contributions to child care programs, they are able to uh, take advantage of a, of a tax credit. And so th- the other exciting piece to that piece of that piece of the bill is that it's contributions to, for-profit or non-profit uh, child care programs. 
And so we, you know, there's always been there's always been a tax friendly option for contributions to nonprofit uh, programs, but the for profit one is is really the exciting is really the exciting piece. And so that's why I'm I'm super excited about it from a from an economic development standpoint. Uh, the third piece of the childcare provisions for LB seven fifty four is how we can now take or you know we can further offer benefits or offer support to our child care professionals and to our child care programs through what's called the school readiness tax credit. And so if there is a child care provider, either as an individual, like a sole proprietor, so that would be, you know, the family home child cares or even center-based, as a, either an owner or as, a, as an employee of one of those programs, they're able to uh, take advantage of a tax credit as well. And so we're really excited about the tax credit program. You know, it was just passed this uh, this last session, and so there's still a lot of regulatory and you know definitions and and implementation that needs to happen. And so, uh, you know, we we're not going to be seeing it for a while. While it's you know it it's still being built, it's still being created. Uh, so we we won't we won't really be able to see the how the thing. Uh, is is put together until uh, later on, but uh, you know the public education campaign for those tax credits is, is going to be happening uh, shortly, um, and so we're we're really excited about that. So why is it important to have these contributions? Why is it needed economically? <laughs> well, let's talk about the child care business. Yes. Let's talk about it. All right. So the the business model for childcare is not like a typical business model. With a typical business model, if you're selling a good or you're selling a service, you typically will, you know, as you're putting together a business plan and you're looking at like incomes and expenses and and all, you know that type of thing, that that type of scenario. With a typical business model, you look at you know what the cost of goods is going to be like if you're building a widget like what is going to go into creating that widget you know you're, you're gonna have to consider you know electricity insurance property taxes you know all those like the utilities lease space really what is it going to take to create that good or or to provide that service uh so you start you know you start there then you add on profit or whatever you want to uh, realize as a wage or as a salary, and you add those up, and that's how you determine what your price is. Okay. Now, in an open market, the consumer can decide. Any consumer c- can decide. Okay, do I want to spend that? Do I want that good or service bad enough? You know, if it's something that I can do, you know, use. Yes. If it's not something, I don't have to. And there might may be other choices along the line from someone else. In a childcare business model, you really flip that upside down. You start with how much parents can afford to pay. And from that, you subtract out your cost of goods or cost of service. So you, you subtract out you know, the insurance, the utilities, the property taxes. And what you're left with then is really how much you're going to get paid as a salary or wage. So the price point is really what your parents can afford to pay. We know 
that it doesn't cover the cost of quality care. We know that what is left over as a salary or wage that goes to the to the provider, it's not sustainable. It's it's low wage. It's high stress. It's it's that there is so much that goes into become being a child care professional that it uh, it, it really it's just such a struggle. It's it's a it's a broken model. Yeah, and so then these contributions can help out by helping to right. fix that issue. Right. So the, the contribution then can come in the form of, uh, you know, maybe someone will contribute dollars to, you know, to a program that they can then move that over to wages for some of their workers. And so th- then there's more continuity of staff and then that leads to better outcomes or better in quality environments for the child because there's that continuity of staff or being able to just take care of, you know, the uh, the utility payments. Uh, it, it's just that there'll, there'll be a, it's, it's a way for to be able to generate generate additional dollars uh, it really in the in the plus category. So there is a childcare crisis here in Nebraska and also nationally and it kind of that's probably related to that economic model that we were talking about and the business model and how that's broken. Um, but the childcare crisis is where parents and caregivers do not have enough options or availability within their communities for their children. What policies have or are being developed to address this? It's not necessarily a, a policy, but a program that we do is is uh, what we call our, our accelerator. And it really has to do with working with current employers. If an employer is interested in potentially getting in the space of early childhood education benefits or like family-friendly policies uh, in order, you know, to to help their working parents. We can go in and we can review with with those employers about what their options are. And so that I guess that leads back to being able to provide more options for for parents. So many times when we when we talk to employers, they think that they would have to open on-site care. Now that could be one option, but that doesn't mean, you know, there's a, there's an entire spectrum of potential solutions that they can explore uh, as far as family-friendly policies, low-cost, no-cost ways to, you know, support working parents. So we, you know, we go in and we can t- we can just talk through all those options as they look at uh, as a strategy for that again talent workforce recruitment. The exciting piece is with that is you know, seeing employers really starting starting to understand how that does again work into the the talent and workforce recruitment you know strategy. But it's a work in progress. You know, obviously there are financial considerations with, with many of those types of options. But at the end of the day, I think w- what we see is that when em- employees are when they are secure in knowing where their child is, that productivity increases, morale increases. Uh, So from a business standpoint, there is positive beneficial outcomes. In fact, First Five Nebraska and the University of Nebraska Bureau of Business Research, uh, we conducted a study called the Bottom Line Study. And, uh, you know, we were able to find that there is, with adequate child care in Nebraska, that there would be positive financial benefits, not only to the, our working parents, but also to businesses, and then also ultimately to the state of Nebraska. Because currently, those three, the working parents, the businesses, and the state are, are uh, seeing the negative benefit due to inadequate child care. And, that, and that's what our bottom line study 
uh, showed. Do you remember any of the numbers from that study about some of the Why, yes, I do. (laughs) With the bottom line study, what was realized is, again, that there was really an effect on three different uh, avenues. Number one was the effect on working parents. And this is due, you know, direct annual impact of inadequate childcare options. The total direct losses was $489 million annually. 489 million. And again, that's because when parents can't access a provider, they may drop out of the workforce or, you know, that would lead to absenteeism. They may turn down a job. They may lose their job. So there's turnover and job loss. Uh, They may forego a promotion because that promotion would, you know, have them working more hours or working different hours than what their their child care program could, could offer. So there is, you know, we could, we're actually able to put a number to that. And so that was, that's $489 million lost to working parents. Annually, right? Annually, mm-hmm. yes. And so again, when we, when we start to think about productivity and we start to talk about morale and we, we, we start talking about the effect on business, there is a, there's a loss, a direct annual impact loss of $234 million. So, okay, so we're starting to get we're starting to get some major numbers here. So, you know, when working parents see a direct loss, when businesses see a direct loss, they're not able to pay in, you know, that corporate income tax or the individual income tax. And so then we see uh, a direct loss then on state revenues. And so we can we can look at those direct losses of twenty one million dollars. So when we add up all of those numbers, it is nearly $745 million annually in, in direct losses. But in economics and in economic development cases, there's such a thing as a multiplier effect, which means that you know for every dollar that I would spend in a community, it stays in that community, it rolls through that community. It, it gets multiplied. So when we, when we add on a multiplier effect onto that $745 million, we actually see that increase then. Because if parents aren't earning as much, they're not going out and they're not buying a new car. They're not buying the new TV. They're not, you know, they're not purchasing those goods and services. And so the, there's loss there as well. Same thing with businesses. They're not able to reinvest that dollars in into new, say, manufacturing equipment or, or things of that sort. So we add all of, all of that multiplied effect with the direct losses, and we're looking at a loss of $1.39 billion, with a B, and that's annually. And I'll also add this. Our study was from 2019. This was before the pandemic. This was before we've lost childcare providers. We have seen childcare closures, you know, because of the pandemic. So we know that that number is really actually higher. It's kind of scary. It's very scary economically and also thinking about all the families and businesses that are directly impacted by this on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. You know, employers can't hire and retain their workers. Families can't afford to have two parents working and then that reduces their household budget. So it's scary all around um, at the state level and then at the kind of micro level with families as well. So what additional policies, in your opinion, do you think could be developed to help ease this child care crisis? We, we know that we need more public-private partnerships. And, and when I say that, I, I mean, we would like to see more investment from the public, you know, from the public side, understanding that there's also 
a big key that that can be played from from the private side, from employers, from businesses. Because what what we're trying to illustrate or what we're trying to show is that if businesses and employers made investments into early care and education, they, they actually may come out money ahead because there is a cost to hiring people. There is a cost to recruiting people. There, you know, and so what we're, what we're trying to say is if, if employers could retain that workforce, that overall knowledge that they, you know, they've gone through onboarding, they've gone through all the training, let's hold on to those workers by maybe shifting or allocating some of those other types of recruitment dollars into family-friendly policies, and they may end up being money ahead. From the public side, we, we do recognize that that's a tough conversation because parents of children, you know, in that age, parents are always the most influential and most important teacher uh, of a child's life. So we're, we're very cognizant of, of that balance of being able to show that, yes, families are the most important, important piece of that, but when there are no other options, that we do need to have a, f- a well-funded, you know, well-qualified, trained early care and education landscape. Philanthropy always w- will play an important piece to that. So it's really a combination of, of all of those things, you know, so that we can make, again, a, a landscape of quality early childhood education. So really, it almost sounds like everyone recognizing that this is an issue, everyone coming together and saying, we're going to address this together and put forth that funding to make it happen is kind of what I'm hearing. Um, funding can be a piece of that, but I, I, I do think that there is also, you know, when we, if you start to look at some of the regulatory things, just being able to, let, let's make sure that all agencies, all businesses, that they're, they're communicating freely, that there's streamlining efforts, that they're building in efficiencies, uh, because you know, that's the other thing that we recognize from the early childhood business standpoint is timelines to open and and the credentials of of our workforce. Yeah, we it, it's, it's just going to take it's going to take a lot of coordination and willingness to try and find solutions. So what can people do who want to help and want to support teachers and providers and others who are involved in early childhood? What would you encourage them to do? Well, there's a lot that can be done. Tell me, tell me it all. Tell you it all. Yeah. Okay. Number one, you know, when I'm out in communities, I hear, well, I don't have any children in childcare. Why it, it does? This doesn't affect me. This doesn't bother me. What I try to let them understand or lead them down the path of understanding is that everyone depends on someone that depends on childcare. It may be a few degrees separated from you. But at some point, you rely on someone that has to rely on childcare, And that could be if I'm going into a medical appointment and those doctors or nurses, you know, or receptionist or uh, someone that's in the billing office, they depend on it and they're not able to be at work that day. It's going to affect you somehow. Same thing with our, you know, say someone that works in a convenience store. Throughout Nebraska, we see help wanted signs all the time. We are always affected, especially since the pandemic, are seeing, well, they're not open right now or the, just the drive throughs open, or, you know, because we hear, well, it's because no one wants to work. There may be some truth to that, but there may also be the same truth that 
they couldn't come in because they didn't have affordable, accessible, available childcare. That is what I always start out with in conversations with people, and they start to understand, oh yes, I do rely on someone. From, from there, we go to, have you ever visited or talk to a child care provider. You'll be very enlightened if you even went and did a, did a site visit. Now, obviously, call ahead and make arrangements. Don't yes. just show up on their doorstep, okay? Yes. <laughs> they would not appreciate that. They would that. not appreciate that. <laughs> but to even just have a conversation with them. And, and when I talk to businesses and I, when I talk to employers and help them understand that our child care professionals are business people themselves. They are CEOs. They are that small business professional. They just happen to be in the childcare business, whereas someone else might be in, in the insurance business or in a manufacturing business. Our childcare providers are absolutely business professionals because they worry about the same things that other businesses worry about. They worry about their bottom line. They worry about uh, utilities, insurance, you know, all of those same things. And if a person did make a, a visit, or like a site visit or had a conversation with a child care provider and we're able to just talk about those same, you know, those same struggles, you'll understand that, yes, they absolutely are a business. Okay, so we recognize that we depend on them. We recognize that they're a business. And so let's start now talking about how we can advocate for those businesses. Really, it's just like any kind of advocacy for anything else. We can start on a local level. We can find a, a group or join a group or form a group that becomes champions of the child care businesses in their local community. We can encourage those child care professionals to become members of their chamber of commerce or their economic development organization or vice versa. Have those chambers or economic development organizations reach out and, and ask them to be a part of their decision making process. So uh, from that local advocacy then for our, those, the, you know, the child care professionals, from there, yes, absolutely, we, we always want um, for communities to feel that they, you know, we encourage them to be in, in contact with their, you know, their state senator, the state senator's office, because we can, we can as a policy organization, we can talk to the legislature, we can talk to agencies, we can talk to, you know, the senators all the time. But at the end of the day, they want to hear from their constituents. They want to hear what is going on in their local community. They want to hear about the struggles or they want to hear about the, the good news stories, what is happening in their district. And so, you know, we always encourage that. And then same thing with the, you know, with the federal delegation to be able to send emails, write letters, have phone calls to, you know, the, the federal delegation and their, and their staff. Um, we always, you know, we'll always encourage that. In fact, you know, one of the things that we do at First Five Nebraska was we have a what's called our Policy Leadership Academy. And with that, it's a, you know, it's an application-based program that um, helps, you know, guide, helps train, helps support uh, potential advocates or people that want to learn more about being able to adv advocate for early childhood education and care. And so, you know, th there's classes that, that well, we say classes, they're more like workshops where we can all talk about how to become 
better leaders, how to become better advocates in, in our state. So that's really exciting. We're going to be starting that our new class up here in October. Go th- go through that process and then have a have a graduation and and a capstone project and and all of that. So you're saying that the, that class is going to start up here in October. Yes. So do you already have people selected for the class? We do. Team? Okay. Yes, we do. Our application pro, uh, process. I mean, it starts in June of uh, you know of the year June, and uh, we our current our typical class is 25 participants, and uh, we we get a number of applications. And so uh, it's a really great program. It really does sound really neat program. So applications are always due in June. Yes. Okay. And we would find that on the First 5 Nebraska website, or where would they yes, find that? Yes, they would. If? Yes, at first5nebraska.org, okay. all spelled out. Perfect. I yes. will do some diving onto your website to find where uh, that is right. at, and we'll put it in the show notes. So okay. So if people are interested in the future and they're listening and they and want the to other that, the other great so. thing is we talk about policy on our website we have our bill tracker and so when the session begins I mean you can look back and see you can look back and see uh, from the last legislative session what type of bills uh, were early childhood education or maternal wellness or child safety uh, all of those things you'll see are where they ended up or what happened with them and then. We'll always we always uh, track those types of bills, and so for next session, it'll you know repopulate with with our information. So that's another good way for people to stay informed about Absolutely. what's going on and kind of the the recommendations that you have. Yes, or I, even better, sign up for the First Five Nebraska newsletter, and you'll receive all that in your monthly inbox. There you go. Yeah, that way you can stay or informed quarterly inbox all the time, which is good. I did have another question for you. Um, you talked about forming a group in their local community and setting up kind of an advocacy group for early childhood care and education. What would you tell people if they don't feel qualified to start this movement in their in their community? Like they don't feel like they know enough about early childhood and education. What would you tell them? I would say I would tell them just them feeling that way makes them ideal ideally sit you know situated to do that because they're going to have that thirst for knowledge the thirst for wanting to to understand it further right but there's some self-awareness there that they they're going in not knowing all the answers that they're going in not having preconceived notions of what solutions are and i think that's that's a really big key of, key to it because our child care industry our child care model is not something that can be fixed in a day, in a month, in a in really in a year. I mean, it's it's going to take multiple attempts at at different strategies. What works in one community will not work in an, in a different community. And so, if they're feeling like they're not qualified, then they're absolutely qualified because they can go through this kind of self exploration or self discovery or group discovery, uh, you know, uh, as part of a committee or as part of an advocacy group. I, I think that would be really refreshing, actually, seeing, you know, having a group that's like, we want, we know we need to do something. We need, you know, we recognize that. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. It, it's like, well, yeah, within, that means that we can do anything and everything. That is so refreshing to hear. And I'm sure for people who are listening who feel that way, that's really relieves them. Um, so it's kind of like don't let your fear or like your fear of not being perfect yeah. 
keep you from trying because you actually might be the perfect person absolutely to do that yeah. you don't know until you don't until you try right yeah absolutely okay last question for you mike is how can people stay informed and involved with what is happening legislatively with early childhood well go to our website first5nebraska.org uh, look for our bill tracker uh, sign up for our newsletter um, you will see everything early childhood that is that is happening legislatively Awesome. Sounds like a good way to stay informed and involved in what's going on legislatively at the state level with early childhood in Nebraska. So thanks so much for your time with me uh, today, Mike. I appreciate everything you've shared and shared about the First Five Nebraska organization. Absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Up next is a Nebraska youngster describing what they like about Halloween. Here you go. I really like summer and and Halloween and um and Christmas. I love Halloween too. It's one of my favorite holidays. Yeah. What do you like about Halloween? I like that we get um candy about you about it. One time I dressed up like Anna. Yeah. What do you like about Anna? Hmm. Well, she's she doesn't freeze people because it would be rude to freeze someone that didn't even do anything to you. This has been an episode of The Good Life in Early Life, a Nebraska Extension Early Childhood production with your host, Emily Manning. For more information on early childhood, check out our website at child.unl.edu. If you like the show, subscribe and tell your friends to listen. The show production team is Emily Manning, Dr. Holly Hatton, Ingrid Lindahl, Aaron Campbell, Linda Reddish, Kim Welsant, Katie Krause, and LaDonna Worth. See you next time, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.